Hi, I'm Robert Hilburn, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Have a great day. DIY and How Studios presents From Hollywood, California Art of Rock with Caution Friends Part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Network of Podcasts. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, let's rip off the shrink wrap and get to the show. Hello diggers, welcome to Art of Rock with Caution Friends, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. I am the aforementioned Caution, I'm once again behind the mic at Aftermaster Studios in Hollywood. I have had a ridiculously long career designing and art directing album covers for hundreds of different artists. No doubt you've seen my work, hopefully some of my best. In this podcast, which comes out once a month on the Rock and Roll Archaeology Network, I chat with some of my contemporaries, artists, producers and photographers behind the scenes in rock and roll. Before I introduce my next guest, a quick plug for the website, rockandrollarchaeology.com. Podcasts, show notes, social media links, all that sort of thing, that's where you find it. Subscribe, rate, review and please tell a friend about rock and roll archaeology. Okay, that's it. Let's do the show. Today I'm sitting down with legendary photographer Henry Diltz. This man catapulted out of Laurel Canyon in the 60s to shoot Crosby, Stills and Nash, Linda Ronstadt, James Taylor, Jimi Hendrix, Woodstock. He survived a harrowing glider crash in the mountains and my adjectives don't do justice. One of the most revered photographers in rock history. We only worked together once, but have crossed paths so many times in the last 50 years. Listen to this man and his amazing stories. Kosh here with a quick public service announcement before we start the podcast. About halfway through the interview with Henry Dortz, we trade stories about working with the great Richard Pryor. In 1976, he had a new comedy album he was trying to get released, but Warner Brothers had a problem with the title. A big problem. Richard insisted the title was integral. It was irreplaceable. For Warners, it was unthinkable to put it on an album cover. 
Of course, we're talking about the N-word. In the tradition of Lenny Bruce and other groundbreaking original comedians, Richard was reclaiming that word, examining its meaning and taking it back, and making us laugh while he did it. That was his special gift. Consistent with Richard Pryor's vision, I incorporated the word into the album's iconic cover. I can't really tell a story without using the title, and that means saying the word. So... We bleep the word in the podcast audio. We also bleep the C word, which I use to illustrate that, in the UK, that term is not considered as ugly and as provocative as it is here in the States. We do not like using these words, and we definitely don't like the ugly thoughts that are behind these words. But there's a larger point to be made here, and to make that point, we had to tell the story accurately. That means we had to do some bleeping. I give you now the extraordinary Henry Dills. Diggers, we have with us today the premier photographer in rock and roll, the rock and roll icon, legend, the one and only Henry Dilts. Henry and I kind of go back a long time. We've very rarely worked together, but we really should have done. We've had an awful lot of fun. He is possibly the best person to talk to about all the great scenes behind famous rock and roll personalities. So, uh, Henry, good yes. to see Hello. you, dear boy. Hello, Jolly John. Good show, yes. right? Do you remember where we first met? I believe we met over a David Cassidy live concert oh, album. That was live. I was wondering. I was going to ask was you why we were there. Yeah. yeah. And I know we met in Brown's or Blake's Hotel. Um, Blake's but, Hotel. Yes. It was in Blake's. London. It was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I just couldn't remember why I was there because I was. Right. Did I work on that project? It doesn't. I, seem... I believe you did. Yeah. And and I was there because I was. Uh, you know, I worked for Teeny Bopper magazines yeah. a great deal in the in the seventies. Yes, right, yeah. Um, doing first the Monkees, yep, and then Donny Osmond and Jackson Five, and then finally the Partridge Family and and David Cassidy. Oh, that's when how, he yeah. when he kind of went solo and went around the world. I was tagging right along oh, with him every mile of that, yeah, hanging all, out all so over So we world. met. Then I was working for the Fab Four at the time, I guess. So that's oh, how that happened. Wow. Yeah, I know it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I just fell into. I, I fell out of the Royal Opera. And into the Beatles. Is that right? Well, well, yeah. well, well let's, let's do no, this no, no, about you, John. No, 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 no. This is, this is definitely, definitely all about... Well, I'm going to ask you some questions, first of all, very poignant oh, okay. questions. Sure. Because uh, I got your background. You're from Kansas City, Missouri, not the other one. Born and left but yeah. when I was six months old. I need so. to talk to you about your musical background, uh, the, yes. uh, you know, the, the modern folk quartet. Musical background, playing the harmonica in the yes. Boy Scouts in Tokyo, Japan. Oh, really? Campfire. See, this stuff's coming out now. Well, you know, I was born bio. to a TWA pilot and a TWA 
hostess, oh, stewardess. Stewardess is we in the days you. when you had they had to be a, a, a registered nurse to be a stewardess. I didn't know that. Yeah, so the old days when they'd and fly across the country, too, but right? they'd stop in in like New Mexico to spend the night, or they had bunks made up, and it was, it was a whole different thing. Good old sort of, sort of Pan Pacific sort of uh, transatlantic. Yeah, stuff. yeah, it was TWA, and so so yeah. so they got stationed in various places, and so yeah. by the time I was three years old, I'd lived in four or five different places. And, and then um, uh, my dear father uh, went to the other side, uh, testing a B-29. Oh, really? He joined the Army Air Corps right. and uh, somewhere over Utah, I believe. It, it crashed. He didn't want to. He, he, everyone else bailed out. He wanted to save the plane. And uh, so anyway. Did he save himself? Uh, uh, no, no. He, he, oh, he, my God. He, he cashed out. He went to the other side. Oh, well, that's what he meant that's by the other side. That's what I meant, yes. yes. He, he walked into the other room. Yes, yes really, the big the, room. As the, the gurus room. say. Yes, yeah. yes. So um, my mom had two little boys on her hands and, and a year later married a, sort of a family friend. Don Duke, who was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. Oh, my God. And I thought, ooh, he was my hero. And then he very quickly joined the State Department, and we moved to Tokyo, Japan. Good God, When I was like seven years old. And right after, it was in 47. So soon after the war, lived there five years. And then we went to uh, Bangkok, Thailand. I spent my teenage years in Bangkok, Thailand for a couple of years. And then for college, I went to, uh, we were in uh, Germany. He was in Bonn, Germany. And I went to college in Munich, Germany. So I kind of grew up all over the okay, world. So somewhere you know? along the line here, you picked up a camera. Way later. Oh, way later. <laughs> way later, yeah. Okay, but, but music figured into that because in Tokyo, I picked up the harmonica and I okay. would play it on Boy Scout camping trips. And then in Thailand, I bought a clarinet and brought it over. And before I went to school or knew any friends, I would sit in my room in the dark and play the blues on the oh, clarinet yeah, I was, I was in the low register. The oh, no, yes, register. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then uh, by the time when I got to Germany, uh, well, I was singing in glee clubs and choirs and all these various high schools and colleges. And um, a friend of mine played the guitar, taught me how to play. And so then I learned the guitar. Then from Munich, Germany, all my friends were army brats and they were studying to go to the service academies. So I, I said, oh, I read their handbook, Sons of Deceased Veterans Can Automatically Apply to Annapolis, West Point. I said, I'm a son of a deceased oh veteran. God. They said, well, write a letter. We're going to Heidelberg in a couple months and we're going to take the exam and, and party. So I wrote a letter and they said, yes, report to Heidelberg, take the exam. And I got accepted to West Point. No, and, I, I didn't, I, and I wasn't going to go. In fact, that summer I was going to hitchhike up to Scandinavia, there, you know. Yes. But every the dean of the college said, what a rare opportunity. Congratulations, my boy. And I thought, oh, my God, I guess I'm going to have to go and try it. So I went for a year. I was a plebe at West Point, which I, which I loved. I was oh. so glad I went and so glad I left. <laughs> and the reason I left was because I wanted to play the banjo like Pete Seeger. Oh, okay. And I belonged to the Columbia Record Club, and I listened to these Pete Seeger records. And uh, when a year was up, I contrived to leave, and, and I left. Hmm. And I went to... By contrive, what do you have to do to contrive? Well, you can't... There's two ways to leave West Point. <laughs> Wet the bed. <laughs> or flunk out. Oh, flunk out. Yeah, so I yeah. took a digger in mathematics. Oh. Is it? You know, I was doing quite well, especially English and tactics and all that. I did, you know, it's a funny thing. It, what becomes army tactics, you know, like squad maneuvers and tank maneuvers, begins in the summer with etiquette. 
which fork do you use? Which fork? Oh, and, I and I was a little more sophisticated than most of the kids there right out of high school. I'd been to college for two years. Mm-hmm. So I maxed out. And once you get an A in any subject, it's very hard to come down below that. You see what I mean? But if you start out with a low grade, t- all yeah. year long, you're trying to get yeah, a higher totally. grade. It's yeah. a statistics. So I got a tremendously high grades in etiquette, which transferred into oh, army tactics. Oh, that's why tactics. you let me in the door just now first. Yes, exactly. You, I learned the many. I learned yeah. many things. You know, <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. Going to going to West Point was roughly the same as when I took Tai Chi for five years. Oh, it changes your life. You know, it changes your your balance, the way you move, the way you open a door, the way you. I mean, to this day, if I'm in a hallway and somebody's walking down the hallway, I kind of slam up against the wall oh. so they can pass. Ah, you know, oh, I, I always get out of the way for people, and that's from being a plebe at West Point. Oh, I see. But I'm. But anyway, bad. I left that's, that's there. Discipline, though, I mean. I, discipline, all, no. all of that. I was, you know, yeah. and I'm a Virgo, so I could stack my underwear with square corners. Oh you my know, God. I was good I see, at. I'm a Leo, yeah. which is why I'm so devastatingly <laughs> handsome. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so. So, so I bought a banjo and went, flew, fled to Hawaii. Oh, I transferred all Paradise, my credits yes. to the University of Hawaii, and I went there to study psychology because I was interested in people and what makes people be the way they are. So now comes the main music part, because when I was studying psychology at University of Hawaii, I went down to a little coffee shop called the Green Sleeves Coffee Shop, Coffee House. Hmm. And Cyrus Farriar was the genial proprietor. And I walked in with a, my banjo. He said, a banjo. And we were instantly best friends. Oh. And, and so for a couple of years, I go down there every single night and play folk music. Then we formed a group, moved to L.A., and that was a modern folk quartet. And then begins the music part. Okay. Of, All right, give us a year now. What year are we in? That was uh, 90, uh, 90, 63. 63. So yeah. the Laurel Canyon thing hasn't started growing. And yet. I moved up to Laurel Canyon almost okay. right away. So late, okay. let's hope early 64, 64, 65, 66, we were traveling back and forth across the country doing college concerts because folk music was huge. Yeah, I know. You know. I remember, yeah. College concerts, folk clubs, and TV shows. On the last trip in 66, we were in a motorhome, and we stopped in front of a little second-hand store in Lansing, Michigan, oh. East Lansing, Michigan. Went in there to, to spend uh, some money we didn't need to. I, I must say, we were all having, you know, smoking oh, God's cool. herb. Yes, right. Which, it's, it's legal now. Uh, we can talk about we it, right? Can. Well, that's yes, what um, made the 60s the 60s. Well, it, it made all that yes. music come out of Laurel well, Canyon. I was in London, and it made my little cover growing, lined in foam, <laughs> growing my own. Yes, yes right. I mean, I never did a concert that I didn't have a little toke first, yes, you know. Right. It wasn't so powerful then. Just no. mildly euphoric, you know. <laughs> but it made you want to run out there and sing, you know. Mm. And, and so... So we all had a little puff in the in, the, in our camper. Oh, there's a secondhand store. We got to stop there. <laughs> we went in, and and that was that because that's a huge part of this because there was a table with little broken, not broken, but secondhand cameras. Mm, ah, and I Cyrus said, "Oh, a camera. I need one of those." Yes, and was... I was right behind him. I said, "Oh, why not? I'll have, have one, one too. too. Twenty yeah. bucks." <laughs> Never thought about it. Just yeah. grabbed it. Right. And he, and and then Cyrus said. Now pull into the next drugstore and I'll buy film for everybody. Yeah. And he came out with these yellow boxes. And oh, here's yours, here's yours. Yeah. Yes. I said, okay, I can put the film in, but how do, what are all these numbers on here on the dial? How oh, do you right. think? Yes. He said, well, look on the box 
and it'll tell you. You know, it says uh, sunlight two fifty and eight. Yeah, right. Yes. right. And I, I said, oh, okay. Oh, well, here's two fifty. Here's eight. Let's go out in the sunlight. And that's what we did for wow. two weeks. Were you shooting on the old-fashioned Kodachrome then, or? Uh, well, it was or, Kodachrome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kodachrome, Kodachrome one, not slide film. Yes. Right. Okay. Because this is when those intense blues came out the sky and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that extrachrome had the, yeah, extrachrome and well, extrachrome yeah. you could push right and sort of get some grain. Which, yeah. which was, was, was I think digressing. we started on Kodachrome and then yeah. and then, yeah. then eventually I was extrachrome. But I only and here's why I only shot slide film because after two weeks of shooting each other, we'd stop by a field full of cows and I get down on my stomach and shoot up through the fence and get oh, the cows. Getting down. Now. All that you know, yeah. junkyards and yes. I remember there was a toilet with a big flower growing out of it and a junkyard stuff like that. Came home, developed the film, and then here was the one epiphany. The first epiphany was, oh, look at this film. They're little slides. <laughs> My God, I had no I idea. expected what was coming yeah, out. I didn't, I didn't know. I never thought about what they were going to look like. You know. And so I said, let's get a slide projector. Oh, yes, you need a kind of carousel. And we, yes, <laughs> and we got all of our, our friends. I say we got our stone hippie friends together, and we had a slideshow. And the second epiphany was when that first slide hit the wall, you know, 10 feet wide yeah, right. and glowing in color. And pin sharp, no doubt, yes. right? Yes. yes, and here were the famous moments that we had on the road together, all those famous moments. Our bass player uh, bought a new bass case and he blew up his old cardboard bass case in the desert with M80 firecrackers. And as the firecrackers went off, the bass case flew 20 feet in the air, yeah. and I got that picture with the bass player running like hell away from that in the background. So boom, a column of smoke, a bass case in the air, and, then, and him running like hell away from the picture, you know. In the, and Lord. my God, what a moment that was, and mm. that we could see that again and share it. I said, why? This is magic. Is this when you started this building is magic. Your, you're building your archive at this point? Well, it just no, at this point I'm just saying, hey, this is oh, okay. fun. Oh, okay. I oh. I got to take more of these things because let's have more slideshows. So that is where it started. <laughs> is that and more then we well, you have a little toke and things come alive. You yes. start seeing things, you know? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I look at it, I I can't, you know, I, I I'm not like, you know, Johnny Appleseed here, you know, but but I always say I could walk down any street in any place in the world and take a couple of pictures. You'd mm. see something obvious. Now, have a little toke. And wow, I'm down on my knees photographing a little plant coming out of a crack yes, in the right. sidewalk or a ladybug on a yeah. fence or stuff I wouldn't ordinarily stop to see. That's the thing. It's the stop and smell the roses. Right. Yeah. Stop and look. Yeah, It does something to your, you know... <laughs> To your visual, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, the brain, yeah, the Vacuum. whole world, yeah, everything, yes. everything's like it's very sensory perception is now. Yeah, right. Well, it perception. increases your, your senses. It, it, right. I mean, it, it, it yeah. enhances your senses. Okay, so there we are. Enough of that. But so then I started photographing everything I could see, so that we'd have enough slides for the next weekend to have a slide. Ah, oh, gotcha. I would wake up in Laurel Canyon too early in the morning and everybody would be asleep except the cats would be out lying on the sidewalks you know in the middle of the street and stuff i lived on a little dead end road and i'd go out there i'd lay down on my stomach and get you know two a foot away from the cat and take a beautiful portrait the cat would kind of look at me nonchalantly yeah, click and then there would be a, a snail on the on the ivy trying to get away from the sun had just come up you know scurrying to get in and I would take a great picture of that and then when that's 10 feet wide on the screen it's amazing yes of course 
Yeah. So I, 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 I did all kinds of trippy things. Like I would photograph little tiny toy trucks and get real close and fill the frame with a little toy truck. Yeah, right, and yeah. then I would shoot big trucks, regular so trucks. Using the, sort of and, and, you know, intersperse them. Oh, that's a real truck. That's a toy truck rising, blown up. Try to, to do little yeah. mind, visual tricks. So on you're my using what, a Nikon? or a, I was using a Pentax. Well, Pentax, my okay. broken camera was called a Pony, and that, that didn't, it was broken. It yeah, this a, is a standard 50mm lens or something. We're not sort of, yeah, couldn't you, fo- you, couldn't playing focus. With, you couldn't focus. Fixed focus. Oh, it's fixed focus. That was, oh, my, so it was like a pinhole. my first <laughs> camera. <laughs> Yes. But then as soon as I got to L.A. and got serious, somebody mm. said, well, you need to get it. And I got a Pentax. Right, got it. And then very soon, uh, about a year later, someone stole my whole bag of Pentax lenses and Ugh. bodies out of my Volkswagen in Hollywood to be at the cleaners. So I went into yes. the cleaners and five minutes later. And so then a friend gave me a Nikon. And I said, wow, this is like a tank. This is, yeah, this yeah, is my You can my drop camera. those things down the stairs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So for, yes, right. for, I'd say, 30, 35 years, mm. I used a Nikon. Uh, at the, Nikons for all of my really, all of my really well-known photography. Yeah. And then, you know, 15 years ago, let's see, 05. In 05, I picked up a friend's... Uh, Digital camera. Oh. Now, mind you, I was saying, I will never go digital. I am a film guy yes, forever. Right. Yeah, I know. And I picked up my friend's Canon. He said, oh, my God, this sets its own reading. You don't need a spot meter oh, to right. take the yes. reading. It focuses itself. Are you kidding me? You know? yeah. And so I, I got to get yes. one of these. <laughs> so now I'm a digital guy. Yes, I've seen you shooting, actually, uh, yeah. I've been looking over your shoulder. You didn't even know I was there. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. We were down. We my were down. gosh, gosh. Yes, right. <laughs> oh, we were down at the forum uh, to for Glenn Fry's memorial, mm-hmm. and you were shooting the planes that were going overhead. Oh, while we were in the ticket yes. line. Yes, yes right. As they were going down to LAX. You know. Why not? They're so close. Yes, so exactly. Because yeah, you know, it was like a bright red one came over with strange sure. markings. Yes. Yeah, yeah. See, so, I just, I mean, sensory perception. I just, I just focus on everything around me, whatever's happening. Yeah. All right, so now, okay, let's focus on how you got into the rock and roll part. I know okay. you're in Laurel Canyon, well, the, so you're the, surrounded by... The short version is, I photographed all my friends in Laurel Canyon, and one by one they became famous. Uh, that's what I want to And that know. is true. I mean, Mama Cass, David yes. Crosby, Stephen Stills, these were all fellow musicians. I, I had met all of those people. you still playing with them? I was still playing a bit, yeah, mm. still playing. Um, uh, but then, you know, I segued into... What happened was we did a single with Phil Spector called This Could Be The Night. And and in the studio, Brian Wilson came down and was in the in the control room listening to our song in his robe and slippers. Yes, right. Over and over and over and over. And we said, oh, my God. You know, Brian loves us. He was our, our yes, God. Right. Yes. He was, we were a four-point harmony yes, group, right. you know. Yeah. And so... We thought, well, our, our, our fortunes have been made now. We're, we're going to go right into the big time. Well, Phil was so paranoid about his recordings that if they weren't going to go to number one, well, it would be smirch his reputation. Yeah, we both have Phil Spector stories like <laughs> yes, that. Yes. Oh, dear bird. So he didn't put it out. Yeah. Oh, I mean, no. he, half a year yeah. went by. And, and so Cyrus, who was, came from Hawaii, said, mm. you know what? I'm going back to Hawaii. Call me if anything happens. happens yeah. And during that time... One of the guys in the group, Chip Douglas, Chip Hatled, mm-hmm. became the Monkees producer and Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Jerry Yester became, uh, started uh, uh, producing Tom Waits. Oh, yes. And I started taking pictures. And, and Cyrus went back happened. to Hawaii. So we just kind of organically, you know, kind of 
broke up. We didn't decide to break up. No, but you'll just. And in fact, ten years later, we got back together again, and we 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 get back together every once in a while. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So, we so that's, I didn't know about the Phil Spector bit because I mean, I, yeah. I got involved with Phil Spector because with his Christmas album. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, but they weren't being frisked when they go and visit yeah. you. know, and I had to. Sort of, we had to crawl underneath the window in case snipers were going to. You know. Oh, it was. Oh, it was, oh, oh, it was, it was so weird. Yeah, yeah, many. But, we, we I mean, do. I've have heard. I've have heard of the Brian Wilson sort of story about yeah. listening to take after take after take, and then suddenly. Sure. There he is gone, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we were one of the first kind of, four, well, he did the Ronettes, but that we yes. were a four-part harmony group. Like, and he didn't, had never recorded, a, it's usually a duo or yes, a trio right. or a single, right? I mean, yeah, the, yeah. you know, the Righteous Brothers or the Ronettes. Yes, exactly. But we did four-part harmony, which, which really appealed to Brian Wilson. Of course, it wasn't us he was listening to. It was the Phil Spector production. He yes, was listening right, which to, is all in glorious mono. Yeah, yeah, oh, yes, yes. yes. But, you know, eventually that did come out on an English album called Rare Masters. Oh. And to this day, it is Rodney Bingenheimer's theme song. This Could Be the Night. Oh, really? By, I've got to get uh, hold of that. Harry Nilsson. Hey, it's me singing that. Singing yeah, I didn't lead. know that. Yes, yeah. It's wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I can understand that sort of that going that stuff going on with Phil because mm. I mean he was devastated when River Deep Mountain High never got got there did in yeah. England yeah ah right but, but so not he was in par- the states yeah, well, so yeah he was, I mean he didn't the, want to release anything, anything that, that he wasn't sure would be a number one because yeah. that's bad for his reputation I understand that too we were a folk rock experiment uh. and so fair enough that's fine and you know this was just before I picked up a camera so I took no photos of Phil Spector we played at a club called The Trip on Sunset Strip yep. and Phil would come down and get up on stage and sing there is a rose in Spanish Harlem oh, and we really? go we do the background. We backed him. We were his backup band. It was a really fun. Wow. Great fun. You know? yes, and then right after that is when we did our last tour and I picked up a camera. And that's when and you started. And then everything changed. And then I just was the crazy whole, for whole taking world pictures. changed because yeah. now all of a sudden everyone wants them Henry Dills. Yeah, I don't know. I think being a Virgo. That we, yeah. The Virgos are, they compartmentalize. They make lists. They see things in a certain way, right? Also... Um, yeah, my late wife was a Virgo, come to think of it. Yeah, she did. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah they're very, uh, they analyze, they're organized in that way. And the th- other thing I've learned more recently, I think as you get old, older, you, Excuse you, you me. get a certain Pardon? kind of wisdom, right? Now I have learned about the Chinese animals. And my Chinese animal is a tiger. Oh. And as my assistant said, oh, she said, tigers are, are playful, they're sociable, but they're loners. I went, oh, my God, that's me. She said, tigers like to sit up on top of the cliff and watch the other animals. I said, well, if that's not what I do. And it's with your camera, you're doing years. just that. Yes. Yeah. So I can see now as a Virgo tiger, it's the okay. perfect setup. Well, how did the, how did the Virgo <laughs> tiger get to Woodstock? <laughs> the phone rang in my kitchen oh, in Laurel Canyon. Oh, that's a good start. Yes, and my man. old pal Chip Monk. Oh, I remember Chip. Yeah. Was, Edward, when he was with the Stones. Yeah, of course. Yes, right. Edward Berenson Monk. Oh, yes. And his it. friends call him Chip. Chip. And I knew him in the folk days. He, he would do lighting for yes, folk he was, tours. Yeah, yes. He, he, was doing, he was doing the tour, Stones tours when I knew him. Yes, yeah, exactly. massive Many, yeah. lights or whatever. He was the best. Blinding the audience. And he was yeah. the voice of Woodstock. He did all the sound and yeah. lights and all the Woodstock. The, the lights and the yes. staging. Right. So he in, called not me. in daylight, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the phone rings. I'm in my kitchen in Laurel Canyon. Henry, it's Chip. Listen, we're doing a great big concert out here in a, in a, you know, in a month, and you should be out here shooting. Mm. 
I said, well, Chip, I, you know, I've heard about it. I'd love to, but uh, I don't know those people. Well, you know, how am I going to get out? He said, well, I'll talk to the producer. The next day, Michael Lang calls. He says, Chip says we need you. I'm sending you $500 and a ticket. Oh, wow. Airline ticket. Yes. And that was it. That was the whole conversation. So I flew out two weeks before Woodstock, photographed all the building of the stages and the building of the grounds and the hog farm setting up the campgrounds. And it was like summer camp. Mm. It was upstate New York in the summer. It was sunny. It was beautiful. It was sunny at that point. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, and all the hippie uh, carpenters were, you know, had their shirts off sawing and hammering, building mm. this immense wooden deck in the middle of this alfalfa field at the bottom of a hill. And it was like a big aircraft carrier, and the alfalfa would blow in the wind like the sea. And the and the hippie girls would come at lunchtime and bring sandwiches and oh, drinks. Like it, was, it was idyllic. It was, it was summer <laughs> camp. And then one day, there was like 20 people up at the top of that hill, that alfalfa field. And I said, well, what are those people doing up there? Oh, gosh, that's right. I forgot. It's going to be a concert. <laughs> I totally forgot. <laughs> and the next day there was uh, a, thousand, a thousand, and the next yeah. day there was four hundred thousand, yeah. and suddenly, and bang! It, it just happened, you know. And we we didn't even know the extent of it until Saturday afternoon. Somebody brought a, a, a New York Times, and the cover picture was an aerial shot of the that huge, man, yeah. immense crowd. And right. we learned that all the highways were closed. Because we were right in the middle of it, like the eye of the hurricane. We didn't quite know, you know, quite the extent of it. There was a hell of a lot of people out there. Yeah. But well, at um, least you had a porta potty or something in there. Well, I, did, I had an all. <laughs> That's the first thing pass. I think about. Was like, yes, can I, where yes, can yeah. I pee? Well, better than that, I had my station wagon uh, parked behind the stage, oh. and I slept in that because I had a boarding house a mile down the road, but you couldn't get down the road because there were yes. too many cars and people. Yeah. Cars parked on each side of the road with not enough room for a car to drive down the middle, God. and the middle was full of people coming and going. So anyway. no emergency trucks or anything could get through. Nothing. No, nothing could. No. That's what made... You know, and they hadn't finished building the fences. They weren't able to take the tickets. I mean, they made their money on the movie. Oh, yeah. And, and advanced sales of tickets. But, but it was a free concert. And, uh, but that got... Was, well, then the next thing you know, you're shooting Hendrix, right? And, Hendrix was there, yes. Yes, that was wonderful. That was the high well, point for me. This is where I, go, I, I sort of had to pick up your, your yeah. bio and resume because I just got a whole list. Yes, you know. Um, well, you know, that morning, Monday morning, he came on. He was supposed to close the show Sunday night, but it was so backed up that he came on Monday morning. Mm. Just as dawn was breaking, out on the stage come these guys with these bright, colorful, you know, kerchiefs no, around their yeah, well, head. Yeah, 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 colorful clothes. It's like, mm. whoa, you know, and we'd been kind of been up for quite a while, you know, <laughs> a few days, right? Yeah, and, it's like, whoa, what is this? And then, and I was right on stage, like, you know, 20 feet away from him at the side of the stage. And then he played, and then he started playing the Star Spangled Banner. And that oh, was that's, the yeah. moment. Because, you know, first of all, here we were, this encampment of hippies, you know, this giant love-in. We had love-ins in L.A., a couple hundred people. But th this <laughs> was 400,000 people. And they were, and all like-minded are, you know, wow, like Chip said, we didn't know there were so many of us. And, of course, we were all against, you know, the, the Vietnam War oh, right, and exactly. therefore the big, government yeah. and yeah. all of that. We yeah. were the new generation, you know, the yeah. peace and love generation. And when he started playing the Star Smaggle Banner for a moment, I went, wait a minute, you can, know, yeah, that's, that's, do, that's their song, that? not yes, our right. song. <laughs> and then I thought, no, wait, that's our that's song, song, you know. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was like, this one. It's hell like of a we moment. reclaimed the Star Spangled yeah. Banner.
It was an amazing moment. Right. So, so that was fantastic. So then after that, you come back to L.A., kind of like, you know, yeah. and you've got the halo around your head now. Cause right. <laughs> that was, uh, let's say, August then of 69. Then you were knighted by the Queen, I believe. Yes, yeah, so well, it should have been yeah. anyway. Yes. Well, you know, I had just done the Crosby, Sills, Nash album cover of them sitting, oh, right. on, yeah, sitting so, on the couch. Yes, now this is a famous story. Yeah, well, I'd done that just before Woodstock. Ah, okay. And then because Woodstock was their second concert of their life. Oh, Crosby, yeah, Sills, right, Nash, Nash, and Neil Young, young yeah, and yeah, Neil right, came out yeah, as well. Yeah. And um, so I photographed them then and then came back to L.A. And then the doors called and uh, Gary Burden was my graphic yes, right. artist partner. Yes, yeah. And they called and said, we want you to do our album cover. Mm. And then we did the Morrison Hotel cover. Right. And um, I think I did Sweet Baby James just before that. Yes. And so 69 so was a big yeah. kind of watershed year. Yeah. For my my years, I guess I came. Well, actually, working in England, sixty nine is where I started. Yeah, but it wasn't until seventy three, I think, I hit my stride on the mm. coast. You know, which is well, next year is the fifty year anniversary of sixty nine. Yes, exactly. Abbey Road and all, and, all, and yeah. all that stuff. God, oh, God, it doesn't seem. I mean, it's just so stuff. What an fucking old you have to be. What an adventure! <laughs> right? That's the way I look at it. What an yes. adventure! Possibly, yes. You, a, you can't ask for more, can you? What you a know? pleasure! What a privilege! To yes, be, I mean, to it's be been, alive. Well, the whole know? point, Henry. It's been a, a lot of it's been a lot of hard work, and it's been tears shed. But when you look at the whole blanket, yeah, of what was going on, and these sort of, yeah. whatever we did seemed to make a. You know, because we yeah. were all very, very professional as well as having sure, a lot of fun. Sure, yeah. And but, that was the mix, but, which I but think. But what was... we were doing was just, I mean, our everyday stuff, right? I mean, you yeah. get up in the morning and, you know, looking back on it, it's just like, wow, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I mean, I'd, I'd take pictures in the morning and go have lunch somewhere and then go to a video shoot or right. go to a recording session and then that night go to the Troubadour and shoot somebody else. And this was all just a regular yeah. day, you know, yeah. just hanging out with your friends. Yeah. But it was just, you know, because it was, everything was, there were schedules, though, that you had to abide, abide you a know. A list, you had to have because, a list. Yeah, because trucks had to roll full of album covers and things well, like sure, this, which yeah. means we need well, photography. Particularly you, yeah. as, a, as a graphic so artist. So I'll be, I'll be sitting in Olympic yeah. Studios, you know, listening to yeah. the Stones at four in the morning, because Mick is not happy. Um, <laughs> yes, and I yes. still had to be at the printers at six. Wow. You know, yes, right, right, exactly. Yeah, then then the film goes off yeah. somewhere else, and then yeah. two days right. later, I have to fly to Chicago to see this, what it looks like on press because yeah. uh, you know it's five hundred thousand pieces of paper coming off here, and they got your name on exactly. Them. Yeah, it's, see, it's, if there's so anything you, wrong, it's your fault. <laughs> so your job was similar to my partner Gary Burden. Who, yes. Who, who oh, how is Gary? I mean, well, I'm Gary went to the other. Side. Oh, he did. He went to the other room. Went to the other. Walked into the other room. That's what the gurus say. You know. Dying, it's, it's just like you walk uh, into another room. You, there is no dying, first of all. No, I understand that. You know, yes, you yes. drop your body, that's yes, all. Just, you know, yeah. And you go on to the next adventure. The next adventure. Yes. Yeah, well, I hope he's having fun. Because, <laughs> yes. I mean, if we, we sure to, to, to let people know who Gary Burden is, I mean, we have to introduce eagles and yeah. the, yes. the, 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 the skull and feathers. Yes. Well, Gary was an, uh, an architect working on Mama Cass's house. And Mama Cat, they got to be good friends, you know, probably smoking a little bit. He's a very easy guy to get over with. Yes, right. (laughs) And she said, Gary, why don't you do my album cover, my first solo cover? And he said, well, Cass, I'm an architect. I don't know about that. I'm not. And she said, well, you make a blueprint. You make an album cover. What's the difference? And he said, well, okay. And a few days after that, he saw me at a love-in. In like Griffith Park, oh, okay. taking photos with my love beads and yeah, my love hair. Oh, yes, yeah, and he said, "Oh, you, he said you're a photographer. You want to help me? I got to do these, this album cover." And that was the start of a hundred album covers we did. Wow, give or take. Yes, you give know. or take. Yeah, 
But we did so many. I mean, the, the CSN on the couch and the and the at the Morrison Hotel. Yeah, we Desperado, did, you did with him. We did Desperado, two yeah. Eagles covers, a couple of Jackson Brown covers, yeah. five America covers. We did Richard Harris, Jimmy Webb, oh. Steppenwolf, the Turtles. Yeah, I know it's amazing. Mama Cass. Yeah, do you know? I, uh, someone I counted the number of album covers I've done, and it came to two thousand. Good Lord. Yeah. Yes. Some of which I don't remember. Right. You know, you're going into yeah. a cutout bin, you think this yeah. looks familiar, and you turn it uh, yeah. over, it's got my name on it, but I don't remember. Wow. <laughs> but you could probably you could probably list your best hundred. Well, yes, I can. Sure, that's the yeah. thing. And, and some are just out, yeah. also rams. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but some of them, you know, some of them are great covers on lousy albums. And some yeah. were like, not my best work on really great albums, because it all depends yeah. how many... Yes. You, you know, sometimes you're doing ten at once, you know. And it's like, yeah, you, you are. Sometimes. Not anymore. <laughs> no, I don't do, you know, I'm too old to yes. do that anymore. Yes. I've got to slow it down. Oh, no, I've got to bring up a client okay. that I stumbled into much, much later than you did, mm-hmm. and that was Richard Pryor. Yes, indeed. Yes. Richard Pryor. And his, you was in, it was his 69 or something you were with Richard? Uh, 68, I believe 68. he did his okay. cover. Yeah. Because you got He a story was managed story. by yeah. Bobby Roberts, who managed the Mamas and Papas. Ah. Um, and so he called. These things start with a phone call, always, of course. Yes, of course, the manager you know, or somebody. Right. Or, and Bobby Roberts uh, called Gary and yeah. said, uh, Gary, go to Richard Pryor's house and take mm. a photo for his album cover. He's coming out with his first comedy album. Mm. So Gary calls me up, says, Henry, we're going to Richard Pryor's house tomorrow morning. You know, we'll get, get there at 10 o'clock. We went to his house, knocked on the door. His wife opens the door and says, you go try to get him out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> he won't get up. We go back, we march back into the bedroom, and there's Richard Pryor uh, on the pillow, looking up with one eye, said, just take the picture right here. This will be the cover. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So we said, so Gary started talking. I said, well, man, you know, come on, we got to do something. He sat up, you know, and, and, and I just remember he said, well, if we do anything, I want it to be something rootsy. Oh, this is where the famous picture comes This was before, I think, the book and movie, I believe. We we could check it, listeners, 68, I don't know. But anyway. Give them the numbers to check. Yeah, right. Um, So so Gary said, well, I know of a a guy who has an antique shop with real Aborigine weapons and jewelry. I'll go there and get some. Richard got up, and and we we all he got the stuff. We went up to a little vacant lot in Beverly Hills, up in the hills of Beverly Hills, where there was a little kind of a cave. It wasn't a cave you could walk into, but it was a little indentation. It was in the rock. It looked like a cave. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Aboriginal cave. And so Richard took all his clothes off. He had a loincloth. Yeah, holy yeah right. a little a little belt with a thing, and it put a, a, a put a ring in his nose, you know, and had and he had a bow and arrow. And, and Gary found some uh, some burnt wood and oh, made a little fire, like a <laughs> yes, fire thing, sticks, you know. We yes. found some charred sticks, you know. And Richard knelt down behind that, and he became that guy, you know, yeah. that native. He would say, you know, keep away. He'd pull, you know, aim the arrow at us. Like, don't get near me. I mean, he, it was wow. a whole little thing. And I took all these pictures. Well, we developed it, and I said, you know, Gary... That picture looks like National Geographic. Yes, My favorite does. magazine as a, as a boy, right? Yeah, and because I, of breasts. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> there was native women right. with breasts. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> you were there. Absolutely. So, he, the so he said, you know, yes. <laughs> he said, it does. I'm going to get Rick Griffin, the famous San Francisco yes, right. artist, yeah. to put a, 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 a faux 
National Geographic Definitely. border yeah. on it, right? Yeah. Yellow a and black. And yellow yeah. with little oak leaves. Yes, okay. Yeah. So Gary tells a story on our, on our DVD. He says, well, we put that out and we got two phone calls. The first from the National Geographic lawyers saying they were going to sue us for defaming their famous logo. Oh, my God. And the second one was for the Grammys nominating us for album <laughs> cover of the year. That yeah. Nice. yeah. So that came out and that was great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my Richard Pryor story is, is uh, I had to go and see him. Uh, I got the phone call, and I'm not sure from whom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to go and visit him in his trailer uh, mm. on the lot. I Movie lot. Warner yeah. Brothers, yeah, because I don't know what the film was. Um, and I'm shaking because I'm meeting the great Richard Pryor, mm. you know, and I'm sort of like kind of white and stuff and got his English accent, you know. Yes, you know, yeah. and I'm meeting Richard Pryor. Um, who flung open the door of his trailer and he was the most sweetest man. Come in, come in, uh, you know. Of course, yes. Sat me down and we sort of talked about this and then he said, I'm having trouble with the title of my album because Warner Brothers don't like it. Mm. And I then realised now that Ed Thrasher, who was the creative oh, director, yes. had sent me for this reason because my job quite often is to be a bridge mm. between the artist and the yeah. art department who hate, hate each other, generally speaking. Yes, exactly. You know, so my job yeah. is to be the diplomat yeah. to go between the two and sort of sort right. it all out yeah. and say, it's Dan Fogel's fault. No, it's not. It's the art department's fault. Yeah. Just yeah. sort of yeah. sort it out yeah. until it goes away. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm there and I suddenly realise, oh, I'm sitting here, there's a problem. Right. And he said, the title of my album is Bicentennial oh. And I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am yes. I going to do with yes. this? You know? <laughs> and... Did it come I, out that way? Yes, it did. Yeah, because well, I had to t- tell him a story. Um, yeah. uh, he said Warner Brothers were really up against it, and I told yeah. him a story because do you remember when you were in England, there was a magazine called Private Eye? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were always being sued. Okay. You know, because they do salacious covers, you know, drawings of you know royalty so, with huge yeah. icons in front of their... Yeah. <laughs> and then <it's, laughs> so they look like... Yeah. Their equipment. Yes, yes yeah. their equipment, yes. Um, okay. And you'd always have to send them 20 bucks or something, to, you know, just to keep them going. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, they came up with... It was just after Lady Chatterley's, Lady Chatterley's Lover uh-huh. had just been released. And, of course, it had the C word in it. Yes. All right. Um, but it went through court. Chatterley. Chatterley, Lady Chatterley. <laughs> and uh, Penguin Books won. So you could oh, print yeah. this word. Um, Just in the text of the book. In the text, the yes. C word. She was thre- he was threading a daisy <sighs> chain through a private path. Um, but yeah. the point was, I told him the story. And he said, well, what, what's that got to do with me? And I said, well, they pulled out an edition of Private Eye. Yeah. And it said on the cover, in this will be the most beautiful word you've ever seen in the beautiful in, yeah. in the English language, and you opened it and sort of in this beautiful monastic script, man, right. brilliantly, brilliantly lettered, mm. um, was the word. Yes, and oh. that was the, that yes. was the great. And he said that I'm telling Warner Brothers we're doing it. Yeah. We're doing it. If they can do we, it, we can. Yeah, do it. there you yeah. go. Oh my. Yeah. God. Yeah, so that was that sort of story. That was, but yeah. it was a, it's such a lovely. Isn't man. that funny? Those words. I mean, you couldn't. I remember as a boy, oh, in like '56, coming back from Thai, Thailand, and 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 we had to stop in Hong Kong for a day, and I went out because I knew you could find uh, uh, Henry Miller's books, oh, Tropic yes, of Capricorn yes, right. and Tropic of Cancer, and, and, and they had the F yes. word and the C word, yeah. and that was amazing. Yeah. 
And I bought I bought one of each and, and smuggled them, them. No doubt. Yes, yeah, smuggled them through. The the first editions were the fortune. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, All right. So I mean, apart from the fact that you've got you know James Taylor pictures, Paul and Lyndon pictures, and whatever else, mm-hmm. um, why, why, let's still do some sort of um, do a commercial here for yourself. Okay. The Morrison Hotel Gallery. I think oh, it's yes. time to do some sort of blatant advertising. All right. Yes. Tell me um, about. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, it, 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 I talk about 50 years being a photographer, you know. And after 50 years, what happens is it's, it's, uh, it's books, it's museums, and it's gallery shows. That's right. what happens when you get a body of work, right? Well, about 10, well, in 2000, people started saying, ooh, you must have quite an archive. And I would think, ooh, I don't like that word, archive. You know, all my life people say, oh, you're a photographer. Are you a professional? I would say, no, no. No, of course It's something I love to do, you know. (laughs) So uh, archive, I don't like that word. I do have a lot of cardboard boxes full of negatives. I've seen a photograph of them. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Well, my friend Peter Blatchley worked at Capitol Records. And he said, Henry, you have these Super 8 movies of Woodstock and the Eagles and the Doors. We should let me give them to me. I'll make a little reel. We should get these on TV, and that led to doing a DVD called Under the Covers right, with, yeah. with Gary and, and and Peter and I. And then shortly after that, he met a fellow named Rich Horowitz who sold John Lennon lithographs. Oh, he uh, the black bag one. Around, yes. Yeah. And, and he sold those around the country on uh, like one weekend a month. Mm. He would go to some other city right. and do a big show and sell Lennon for Yoko. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second because I'm yes. going to get my puff in here. I actually brought the first edition of Bag One into the, into the States. You did? I flew on TWA, what, the first 747 yeah. or something. Wow. Um, yeah, well, with that portfolio under that. my arm. Yeah. And I walked straight through immigration without being stopped because it had all been fixed by Alan Klein. Wow. <laughs> Otherwise, what? They would have made you pay. I don't know. It's pornography. Well, you know, uh, Anthony Fawcett tells me yeah. he's the one who told uh, John to do that. He said, you know, you have all these sketches. You should yeah. do a portfolio. Yes. And he kind of helped them. Anthony's down in La Jolla somewhere, isn't he? No, Anthony's in London. Oh, he is? Oh, oh he's okay. in London, yeah. So we digressed again. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. But anyway, we go. please go okay. back to so, Morrison Hotel. So, Morrison. So, uh, shortly after that DVD came out, Peter met a fellow named Rich Horowitz who sold John and lithographs. Mm. Uh, in various cities on the weekends. Um, and Rich said, you know, I've wanted to do this sort of sales thing with with photographs, and I think maybe Henry's photos would work. So we spent a year going, like, we'd go to La Jolla, or we'd go to, um, you know, Denver, Colorado, we'd go to, you know, to San Francisco. We'd go to a different city each month, and we'd have a weekend sale. And Rich had like been doing this... A pop-up store, right, yes. with my photographs, right? Fantastic. 100 photographs on the wall. We'd rent a room in a hotel or a shopping market or mm. an old gallery or something, put up all these pictures. And Rich, having done the Lennon lithographs for 10 years, knew every writer and every radio station, every TV uh, station. So and so we would always, in every yeah. city, we would get the entire front page of the entertainment section. And they would always talk about the demise of the famous album cover. And, oh, yeah, and it would be crowded. About, and, you know, yeah. we do very well. Mm. Well, we ended up doing one in New York City. And we found a little place that was for lease. They wanted 35000 a month for this little storefront in mm. Soho. And we said, well, we certainly don't want to do that, but we, we can't do that. But what, if, what about if we give you a couple of grand and we use it for three days for the weekend? And then we'll just clear out. Well, we did that. Great success. 
And then we thought, well, holy cow, this place is empty. It's up for lease. We talked to the landlord. We said, look, what if we leave this up and we pay you like, you know, two grand a week under the table? Oh, and, and as soon as you leave, you can bring people in to look and it looks better than a big black empty hole. It looks better yeah. as a gallery. And, and as soon as you want to lease it, we'll move within a week. And that happened. We stayed there a year. Oh, wow. And then, then they then they finally lease it. We went right around the corner and found another even bigger place. Stayed there a year. Then we find then we finally got on to um, to Prince Street, and um, we found a little tiny place and we were in there. And finally, that became our gallery. Huh. And so one day, and we had no name. We just called it Art Archives was the company, yes, but there was but no it, sign. Right. It was a little tiny sign on the side that said the photography of Henry Dills, mm-hmm. but no big. So one day Peter and I are across the street looking at our little little hole in the wall Admiring there. Admiring it. Yes. Right, and I said, look, now look, Peter, in the window is a big print of Morrison Hotel. Mm-hmm. Now look at that beautiful lettering on the window in that photo. It's a big red and mm-hmm. white lettering and an arc that says Morrison Hotel. Now look above that at our window. We have nothing. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, I'm going to call a guy and have him put put that on our window while that picture's in the window. window. Yes, perfect. And perfect. so he did. Next day, a guy came and put Morrison Hotel on the window. In gold leaf. Just, yeah. <laughs> just, just as an eye catcher yeah. while that picture was in the window. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, because it would have been a little cheeky to say, why don't we name our gallery yes. after that Doors album? Yeah. Uh, but, but I'm thinking, well, you know, it was a hotel. Yes. I took the damn picture, picture you know. Yes. I mean, yeah. so so it, it stuck as a name. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we didn't decide we would call ourselves that. It just happened accidentally. That's what. That's my story. That's your story. And you have another outlet in La Jolla still, right? We have one. No. We oh. had one in La Jolla. We well, one on Sunset. What was it? Oh, no. We have one at the Sunset Marquee. Ah, okay. Uh, right off Sunset. Yeah, okay. We have one in New York, in Soho. Okay, cool. And we have one in Maui at McFleetwood's oh. uh, famous club and restaurant. Good God. I didn't and it's know that pumping one. away. Gosh, you know, wow. all those tourists come through there with their credit cards. Yeah, it's cheap. Oh, yeah. I mean, they don't have to... You know, we mail it to them. So oh, we frame it, mail it framed, framed or unframed, whatever, ship it to them. So they don't have to carry it under their arm on the ship or the plane. Okay, we got to talk because I've got this art I've got to try and get, you know, get rid of on people. I'm suspecting. Uh, well, okay, let's, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell me, please, Henry, mm. the story about you and the glider accident with Jimmy Webb. Jimmy Webb. That okay, n- Jimmy Webb nearly wiped you out. Yes, we did. We crashed in the mountains and almost died. But Jimmy Webb, first of all, is one of my absolute favorite songwriters. I mean, God. Oh, look what he's done. Yeah. Oh, such beautiful song. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you know Jimmy and you would go to his house in Encino, he would sit at the grand piano and he would play those songs and his hands would be the orchestra. Yeah. You know, it, 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 all the notes would be there on the piano. Amazing piano player. And then his Oklahoma accent singing these songs, it would make you cry. Mm. Jimmy Webb always makes me cry. Yes, true. Especially... Adios, that beautiful yeah. song that Linda sang. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, by Linda we mean Linda Ronsay. Linda Ronsay, yeah. yeah. But so Jimmy, I, I, I always loved his stuff, and I'd done mm-hmm. a couple of covers. And then he liked to glide. He had a glider out in Pear Blossom, and he said, "Let's do something in my glider." So we went out there, went up, and I sat in the front of the glider, and I would turn around and get wide-angle shots of him. Uh, in the cockpit behind me with the big wings sticking out yeah, was... and we were up in the mountains with snow on the mountains and pine trees sticking up and that was great and we got great picture at the same time I had my Super 8 camera and I took some pictures of all that stuff you know just whipping it around a week later we had a slideshow to look at these pictures 
And I put my Super 8 movie on, and he said, wait a minute. And he ran and he got a tape of the album with the London Sim- London Philharmonic Orchestra playing this thing called Land's End. And it had all this sturm and drang, you know. We're riding thermals. Yeah, like the turbulence. And there it is, and there's the glider shots, and the wing is going up and down, and you see down below. and It fit perfectly. It was beautiful. And everybody was very excited. And they said, let's go back out there and make a movie. Uh, we'll do it 16 millimeter. Yeah, there we go. No, 35, 35. millimeter. Oh, no, we're yeah. talking. No, yes. we went out there with a crew of people and some three Airy fla- Aeroflex. Yeah, Aeroflex. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I get in the front of the glider with this huge movie camera <laughs> that fills mil. the cockpit. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I can't even move. I just got the eyepiece in front of me, right? And we go up there. The tow plane takes us off in the morning. We want to go way up in the mountains so we can come down the side of the mountain and out onto the desert. Yeah. That will fit the music Sweet. perfectly. Yeah. 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 So they go way up in the mountains and they let us off and we start circling around in this circle of mountains. And, and after a few minutes, Jimmy says, Henry, we're in trouble. Oh dear. We, can't, we got lower than the mountains. I mean, we were oh, surrounded by a ring of mountains, and, and we were being sucked down. And you got this massive great camera, right? Which must in the front of the plane, <laughs> right. So what happened was apparently that day, and we saw this later in the headlines, that day was a huge windstorm, and the effect in the mountains was a, bit, a sucking down oh, draft. Yes. And so we got sucked down to where we couldn't make the lowest pass out of the mountains. And he circled around. He said, we're going down. Dear. And I remember I this said, is where you start to uh, wet yourself. Uh, yeah. No, no, because I'm looking through the thing. Oh, I'm so going, I said, well, doing maybe your... we'll get an uplift. You know, you're maybe we'll get doing his job. He said, well, we're damn well better. <laughs> and and before you know it, now, here's the thing. Jimmy's glider instructor had taught him, if you ever have to put a glider down in the trees, you want to take both wings off at the same time. Oh, so you don't. You go, yeah. yeah, so you don't spin, spin around. Yeah, God. Jimmy knew that, and he headed down, and, and it was all... Hills, rocky hills with snow on them and pine trees sticking out. No flat place. Oh, dear. So he headed for the trees. And I'm sitting there in the front, and suddenly, in my peripheral vision, I could see treetops whizzing by on each side of the plane. And then, wham, this tremendous impact. Yes, I bet. And and, uh, I, I just remember sort of the feeling of an impact, but then we woke up, and it was very quiet. And the plane was in the trees with the with the the tail up in the air and the nose sticking down to the ground, the wings broken, and we were sitting there. And as I opened my eyes, I was looking at the edge of the fuselage and I could see blood dripping, Oops. drip, drip, drip <laughs> from a cut on my forehead. The mm. plastic canopy had broken, and the film was in the treetops oh, like no. confetti. Oh it no! It broke the camera. It just came straight out the stuff, camera. Yeah, oh. flew up. And so now Jimmy and I, Jimmy wrote about this in his book, and the dialogue is slightly different. You know, <laughs> he says, so it was very quiet. And, and I hear Jimmy's voice. He says, Henry, are you okay? He said, that's what it feels like to die. Oh, no. Yeah. And I mean, really, it was quiet, so quiet. And then, as I recall vividly, he said, have you got a joint? <laughs> <laughs> and I nice. did. 
And we got out and we sat on a rock and smoked a joint. He says that we hit all that and then then Henry, and then Henry lights up a joint. Oh, I see. Like it was my idea. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So anyway, luckily we had hired a a Bell jet helicopter to shoot uh, air to air later that afternoon. So he came up an hour later. And found Looking us. Looking for you, probably. Took yeah. us, yeah, because we lost you, contact. Radio, radio contact? No, no, we lost all that contact and everything. And uh-huh. Gary thought we were dead. He spotted us. He could only take us out one at a time because of that wind, that sucking yeah, wind. Right. And, and so he took Jimmy out first because he had more of a cut by his eye and oh, blood okay. on his face. And then he came back and got me. And as we lifted off, he said, you know, we can barely get off with, with, with you know, with two people off. in here. Yeah. And then he said, you know, I've taken a lot of bodies out of these mountains, and you're one of the first live ones. Oh yeah. It's a rescue thing, you know, a lot of plane crashes up there. The yeah. San Gorgoni Mountains. Okay. So that was, you know, but here's the, here's the tag to that oh. story. So I hadn't flown for a few months, you know, and I, I had twisted my ankle. I had a crutch for about a month, and, and my, my forehead healed up. And then I was flying to New York on a plane, and I'm on the plane, and I think, holy cow, I haven't really been on a plane since that mm-hmm. accident, you know? This is kind of weird. We're up here, no control. I'm in a big, <laughs> big airplane, but, and I go up to the men's room. And as I'm standing in the men's room, I look in the mirror and I see the, the scar on my head, you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, wow, and this is kind of weird to be up in the air like this. And I go and I sit down in my seat and I put the headphones on and it's that Jimmy Webb song. Oh, no. <laughs> Land's yes. End. Oh, my God. The one that we were filming for. Is, I swear to God. That is the weird, that, that's the weird ending of the weird ending. gave me <laughs> the goose pimples. Good Lord. Chicken skin, Chicken as they skin. say in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, I'm so breathless that was after a, that. Yeah, oh. that was my famous story with Jimmy Webb. God. All right, so then now, is there anything that you need to tell us about that hasn't been told or I need to kind of rest out of you about <laughs> any of the clients that we've shared? Or, um, I don't know. I mean, no, you know, because they've all been pretty good, haven't they? I mean, our clients, yeah. there's been a couple of difficult ones, but yeah, we're not going to mention those. Jeez, yeah, I mean... God, looking back after 50 years, yeah, I, know. I mean, there's so, you know, like you say, you can't even remember some of the, I, you know, I can, you know, one thing that happens to me, people will come up to me all the time and they say, uh, say, oh, hey, Henry, how are you? And I say, oh, hello, uh, do I know you? Hey, what do you mean? You shot my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not a wedding photographer, but in the early days, yeah, musicians we would say, yes, right. would you come and shoot my wedding? I'd say, look, I'm not a wedding photographer, but I'll come and document whatever yes, happens. Right. Usually ends up with me dancing on the floor with a champagne bottle in yeah, one hand and yes. a camera in the other going flash, flash, flash. But So I did, I did um, uh, Dan Fogelberg's wedding. I've done Joe Walsh's wedding, oh, wow. Michael McDonald's wedding, oh. Glenn Fry's wedding couple of the guys in Chicago, a couple of the guys in America. Mm. I've done many, many weddings. Many weddings. <laughs> but they're, they're all music-related. Mm. But somebody will say, hey, my, I've got a really good friend who's a drummer. He's getting married. Would you shoot the wedding? So I, sometimes they're strangers. They're still, it's still music. Yes, right, yes. Right. But so, and so I've suddenly realized, well, it's, it's one day in my life, so I don't remember those people, but it's their wedding, mm. so they would remember who their photographer was, right? Yes, that's true. Because yes. it's puzzle, you know, this happens well, time and again. One thing, what know? do you mean? Yes. You shot my wedding? Oh my God, there it is again. You know, 135 mil lens in their yeah, face. That's, that's right. right, yeah. 
But um, it turns out that I do have, I, I can't count all the pictures, mm. and half are color and half are black and white. I started taking black and white because people needed black and white mm. for publicity photos. And so now I have, I mean, I think I have around a million pictures. Oh my God. There's around 500,000 slides and 500,000 uh, pictures on 36 to a roll, you know. I got it, some money. Your hands aren't numb. I mean, it's always a. Tr- oh, no, <laughs> yeah, we have motor yeah, drive now. I've yeah. forgotten. So nowadays, I mean, I have an inadvertent licensing business. You know, <clears throat> it started. I get a call once a month from somebody, Rolling Stone or mm. Capitol Records. You have a picture of so and so, and that, and then it was every week, and now it's several times a day. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Email. You got your. Oh, CNN is calling. That's why you and, got you know, Gary. It's Gary. You got your Gary, my office. archivist. Yes, Gary Strobel. Yes, yes. yes. And we get calls from, I mean, certainly record companies for box sets, mm. magazines, Mojo and Q and, uh, you know, those magazines in England. Yes, right. Um, Uncut magazine. Lots of, they have a lot of music magazines in England. Yeah, and they're they always did, great. Like, yeah. used to be NME, the Melody All Maker, those, yeah. And, yeah and, they right. want, and they want to look back and do stuff yeah. they have. No and then, and now thing. it's like, you know, CNN and different pe- people are doing documentaries mm. on these, the life story. Of, I just did one on David uh, David Cassidy. Oh, they're doing one on, yeah. on David Crosby now. And then, you know. So, um, so I have this, I never planned on that 50 years well, ago. None of us did. You know, you know create, I, I, see, we created I, icons. We didn't know the yeah. time. No, I always say, we you know, I did, for yeah. one thing. That was a joke, yeah. you know. Right. But I say, you know, look, I just wanted to take the pictures. I didn't want to have to spend the rest of my life finding them and looking for them, you know, yes, right. and scanning them and emailing them. But, but, but how, how wonderful, you know, that, that we can do that. Mm. I mean, I used to think um, a fax machine was absolute miracle. <laughs> You mean I can put this paper in and it'll get to New York? Yes, amazing, FedEx, to me, oh my God, what a concept, you mm. know. And now, oh, I mean, yeah. digital, I do a job. I can shoot, you know, 500 pictures of a group. In the old days, I'd have to give those 500 slides to the record company. Right. And, and I'd usually like never see, see them. them back. Yeah. 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 I keep a few. Yeah. But, then, but now I can shoot that job, keep all 500, and give all 500 to the record company, right. the group, the manager. Everybody can have them. You can share them all. Yeah. And and by the way, they can have the pictures the same day. Yeah, another thing. All yeah. of them. Yeah. That's, That's... I mean, the old days, you'd have to... You shoot the thing, then you go to the photo lab, drop it off, go back the next day, get the proof sheets, get know, the film, the contacts, stamp your get, name on yeah. them all, put them in plastic sheets, then bring them to the record company or mm. the group. And then they mark them. And then you yes, go pick X's, them up and yeah. you bring that to the photo lab with the mm. nags, you get the prints done, then you deliver the prints. It's a week and a half operation, yeah. you know. Now there's none of that. I know, none yeah, because I kind of, you know, I used to miss that because like Ted Stadel used to make those great big zebra chromes and things like this. Yeah, you know, the old so, dye transfer. Because I used to present five hundred bucks. Yes, yes. Yeah. I used to present prints, you know, like three foot by four foot. Yes, you know, zebra yeah. chromes, glorious. You know, then Ron Larson exactly. would start putting the clouds right. in and all that sort of stuff. But that would take right. a week. Yeah, yeah. You know, but then budgets didn't seem to be too bad mm. because you know if you're working for the Eagles, I mean. Sky's you know, what, the what, limit. What, how much? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're going to sell 26 yeah. million records in like two days. Yeah, yeah. What is you know a few thousand exactly. dollars for? You know? Well, that was you know the day when the groups kind of took over and got got their own. Yes. you know, I mean, in our day, modern folk quartet, they'd say, "Boys, come in, look at your record cover. Yeah. Here it is." You know, yeah. I mean, and we had nothing to say about it. But then 
Geffen Roberts began, you know, the groups had the clout. And that's where Gary Burden and I came in because we never worked for record companies. No. We worked for the group. This is what I did. And then so Gary would yeah. want to, you know, have a... In fact, I was persona non grata at some record companies. Oh, same with know, Gary. They yeah. hated us. Yes, yes, yes. Because yes. they had a whole art outfit, art department that wanted to do all that work. But right. no, Gary did it. And he said, now for this one, we're going to have an embossed thing with yes, gold leaf. gold foil stamping. They'd say, well, the hell you will, you know, yes. that's... You know, we used to do pop-ups, remember? Things yeah, like things like that. <laughs> you know, I, I say this, D David Geffen loves to hear this, but three Eagle covers that I worked on, Eagle albums, Right. he, he changed. The first one, Gary, being an architect, always had an innovative idea. So for the first Eagles cover in the desert, he had a cardboard inner sleeve instead of a paper, paper inner sleeve. Right, yeah. And then the it was a poster four covers wide four yeah. covers oh, if, and it was going to wrap around it and then you unwrap it and you put that big poster on your wall right two yeah. feet by two feet or yeah. and so but geffen said oh that's going to be confusing just glue it shut so they glued this poster shut so when you open it up they're upside down oh, in the no. inside yeah, right? that's, see that's the problem yeah. see that's why Gary and I what, yeah, you would stress I know, I know. over getting yeah. this right so yeah. when you opened it right it Worked. It read the sec. The second one was the uh, Desperado. Right on the front, they were holding their rifles. On the back, they're laying dead in the street yes, right. with the posse. On the inside, we're going to be a pull a fold out with a huge gunfight in it, mm. which was the whole point of it. Right. The Geffen said, eh, "Just make it a single cover. Don't forget the pull. You know the fold out, and we'll save what you know three cents a cover. Yeah, which times we, a million, yeah. right? right? And so, so there was <laughs> no shootout in the middle." Uh, the third one was an Indian drawing of an eagle, but inside was a pull-out sheet that had beautiful shots of the eagles uh, in Topanga. Hmm. Lovely shots. And it said on the back, photography, Henry Dill. So I'm in England. Someone walks in with that new cover. I said, oh, great. Well, now, will you see this? Open it up, and I'll show you this beautiful thing inside. We look. There's nothing the inside. Yeah. He pulled it. He said, I'm not going to pay an extra you know, nickel to have that paper put in there. Hmm. God. See, well, it changed actually when Irving Azoff sort of started getting involved. Yeah, yeah. He, he, all of a sudden, you know, I'm yeah. saying what I want, you know. I mean, it's strange, though, because Geffen was an advocate for, you know, the groups. But but, but it, when it came to the, you know, Scratch. those pennies, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah. and, and, and God bless him, you know, he... He managed to get a whole pile of. <laughs> well, somebody said something about people climbing over each other to get the paper. Yes. You know, that's yeah. the, what life is like. People climbing over each other to grab a hold of that paper. Yeah. Good Lord, you know. Yeah. And what do they do with it? We can't. We can't preserve the beautiful things yeah. because somebody's got an idea. I can make a million bucks if yeah. I just t knock all that down yeah. and put we'll up, put up, up a big bullshit box. thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know, we should just. You know, how, how can we get rid of I, those I don't people? Know. I don't know. It's not going to happen, mate. <laughs> oh, God. So listen, Henry. Okay. I yeah. want to thank you yeah. for coming by, okay. um, sort of coming over the hill, as it were, to get here. Uh, yes, to join indeed. me in your stories because they yes. are fantastic and I'm sure a lot of people have never heard them and uh, uh, I just want to stress that that was really glorious and well, we had a good you. time it's and, great to reminisce uh, yes isn't it you trying know, to piece together what, what I like about it is like things that you kind of like have sort of lost you think but they're kind of coming back together in your brain again you know like oh, sort I of remember yes. that yes you know? I did keep journals 
Oh, you did? See, that I helps. never did. Well, I kept journals so I could tell <laughs> what day I took what picture. You know? Oh, yeah. And so I would write in the journal, and then I put a little P with a circle around it, and that meant photo that oh, day. So, you, no. so it's full of those little things. I mean, dates and things. And then, and then, I, the and, and then I started thinking, well, I'll write, you know, my wife and I had a big argument, you know, over nothing. <laughs> and that'll be three pages of the journal, <laughs> you know. And then that night, there's a little P, went to the troubadour. You yeah, know? yeah, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh dear. Oh, anyway, mate, well, that was great. Thank okay, you so well, much. Thanks. Yeah, I think there has to be a part two to this sometime because I'm sure we've just scratched okay, the surface. Yeah. Well, all right, folks. Been nice talking to you. Yes, Life is good. Great. Life is actually wonderful. Remember to relax and enjoy oh, it. Yes, one should. One deserves it. Yes. There is a young cowboy. He lives on the range. His horse and his cattle are his only companions He works in the saddle and he sleeps in the canyons Waiting for summer, his pastures to change And as the moon rises, he sits by his fire Thinking about women and glasses of beer that was the incomparable Henry Dulce, photographer of some of the greatest performers in rock history. His biography is so amazing, it pisses me off. Thank you, Henry. Check out his new exhibit, Listening Through the Lens, the music photography of Henry Dulce at NAMM's Music of Making Music in Carlsbad, California. It runs through October 28, 2018. Also, you can find Henry's work on his website, henrydults.com. And you can shop for rare and signed photographs that Henry took at the Morrison Hotel Gallery, morrisonhotelgallery.com. A quick plug before I go. I am online at koshdesign.blogspot.com and you can find me on Facebook at koshart. Drop me a line. I'm Kosh, and this has been Art of Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Thank you for stopping by, and we hope to see you next time. Cheers. You, who are on the road, must have a code. That you can live by And so Become yourself Because the past Is just a goodbye Teach Your children well Their father's health Did slowly go by Looking for ways to help right the wrongs of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. 
you can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. Art of Rock is written by Kosh and produced by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Jerry Danielson. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information.